My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 20. Oh, where is the time going? It is almost March. You believe that? March is a, I don't know, for me it marks spring. I don't know when spring actually starts, but I feel I, I feel spring a spring in my step when March comes along because I know that things are getting ready to break loose. I was talking to a guy who owns a home and garden center. Really, he sells lawnmowers and, you know, like steel equipment. And he says, we're getting ready for 100 of the roughest days of our year. Really? He said, yeah, it's kind of like accountants, you know, when tax season comes around. They love it because that's when the revenue comes, but they have no life for that period of time. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? The current state of the market is the first thing I'm going to talk about. And one way that I can tell, well, it's one measure that I use, is how many emails do I get from other Ford dealers trying to unload their inventory through the various locator services? Okay, so a locator service is a group of people sitting around looking at computer screens and with headsets on, and they're calling Ford dealers to say, got anything you want to get rid of? Got any extra inventory? Sometimes they just send out emails. So I was looking at some of these loads of uh, trucks. Here's Ford Edges, Ford Explorers, Expeditions, uh, Tremor F-150s. That's a special package that Ford came out with, kind of an off-road package for F-150s. Mustangs. Here are here's a uh, some Broncos and some Super Duty diesels. Now, what I'm seeing is massive price reductions versus what they were just uh, three months ago. So that's good for the consumer. It means that dealers are basically uh, they've got too much inventory. It's the, the factories are actually humming now and building product, and they're shipping it. And unfortunately, they still have a lot of 2022 models left on the ground. That didn't sell, and so now they're trying to unload it. What's that mean? Well, that's good for you, the consumer. That's really good. That means that if you want to buy an F-150 or a Ford Edge or an Explorer or an Expedition, well, I guess it could be anything, any brand, except Toyota. Toyota is still extremely limited in their availability. I don't know why that is, why they're being hurt particularly so much right now, but they are. So, you know, the market is improving for the consumer with regards to the the retail prices of new vehicles. Uh, used car values, as, as I said yesterday, used car values are trickling down, but not rapidly. So that's also in your favor. And because of the excess inventory or inventory that's building, the manufacturer getting pretty aggressive on rate. So just because you look at the, the news and it says that, you know, interest rates are seven and eight and 10%, not when it comes to buying a car. Because you can finance, for example, right now Ford has 2.9% financing for 60 months on an F-150. That's a great rate. You can get zero if you've got a little cash uh, because you can finance it at 0% for 36 months. Now, that would be a monstrous payment still if you finance the whole purchase price. But a lot of people who have money in CDs and stuff, they rather than uh, t- pull the money out of a CD – and have to pay a penalty. They just leave it in there, and they finance for 36 months, and then when the, when the CD matures, they pay it off or pay off part of it. So anyway, it's a pretty cool thing. Okay, so next week, I'm excited. I'm headed to uh, Amelia Island, Florida, which is just north of Jacksonville. 
and they have the Amelia Island Concord Elegance. It's basically uh, starts on. Well, you can start viewing some of the products that they're going to be selling at the auctions on Tuesday. I'm not going down Tuesday. I might might go down late uh, Wednesday evening and drive part of the way and then cruise in the rest of the way on Thursday because at 3 o'clock is an auction that I'm registering to bid for. I'm not – I hope I don't buy something. You know, then why am I registering – why am I having a hard time saying that? Registering to bid because something might go too cheap. And maybe there's a profit opportunity for me. Because like I say, I don't buy to keep. I buy to resell and hopefully make a profit. One thing that's really cool about this auction, they're going to have a lot of motorcycles this time. Never seen that at a gooding auction that I've been to. It's almost always cars. But this time they have some really cool stuff. And a lot of it's from the 50s. Right here's a 1954 Piaggio Vespa. You know, that's one of those little... um, scooters. And this was old. I mean, 1954, that was before me. Uh, they anticipated bringing somewhere between 18 and 22,000. Sounds like a lot of money for a scooter. Top speed about 30 miles an hour. But they're going to have uh, old BMWs. Here's a 1961 BMW. thing I like about BMWs is just the way the, the pistons are oriented in the engine. They go out the side. It's, it's what they call a boxer-style engine, like a Porsche or a Volkswagen. Here's a 57 Triumph. Um, it's called a TR6. I thought that was the name of a car. It is. But this is called a Triumph TR6 Trophy, 1957 model. It's really pretty motorcycle. You know, that would look good in my showroom. But here's a Moto Guzzi. You ever heard of that? I have a T-shirt that says Moto Guzzi on it. 1925 Moto Guzzi, made in uh, Italy. Here's another Italian motorcycle. Oh, by the way, the Moto Guzzi is expected to bring 30 to 40. Now, here's an expensive motorcycle. 1974 Ducati 750 Supersport. Looks like a, an old racing motorcycle from the day. It's estimated 125 to 175,000. So that's going to be interesting. I'm, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, low price stuff too, like Jeeps. Um, here's an Austin Healey 3000, which I really like those. Uh, what I'd like to buy is a, is a nice Porsche 356. That would be something from the 50s up to, when did they stop making 356s? I think it was 64, 63 when they came out with the Porsche 912 and the, and the 911 body style that everybody is so familiar with. Well, you may not be. But it's going to be some interesting stuff. I mean, some high-dollar stuff, too. Here's a 1958 BMW 507. I swear that looks like a vehicle that was built in the 70s, 80s. 1958, it's estimated between 1.6 and 1.8 million. What I like about going to these auctions is just watching these really wealthy people uh, swap toys because that's kind of what they're doing. I mean, rarely do these people keep these cars for long periods of time. I think it's an ego thing. But anyway, I'm perfectly happy to go down and watch them display their ego, and I get to watch what these cars bring. But it is a lot of fun, and I wish you could go with me. Uh, I don't know. They probably have it on TV. They're probably going to have a broadcast later on. There are TV cameras there, so they're obviously broadcasting it somewhere, maybe on the Speed Channel in the coming few weeks, but you might be on the lookout for that. Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. 
You know, one of the things I look forward to seeing at the Amelia Island Concours, the show itself, where, you know, these aren't cars that are for sale. It's about 350 cars that are just have been invited or car owners have been invited to show certain vehicles in multiple different classes. So, you know, they may have pre-war sports cars. When they say pre-war, they're not they're talking about World War II or uh, post-war um, limousines. You know, they'll have special classes like that. Probably not limousines, but the the brass cars from the the teens and uh, the real high end um, luxury cars from the '30s, like Duesenbergs and so forth. It's amazing the technology that existed back in those days. I mean, they had double overhead cam engines. They had uh, they didn't have power steering, and most of the really expensive cars were still manual transmissions. They didn't have automatic transmissions until much much later. I can't remember exactly when they came out. I was looking at a timeline for car technology. And, you know, so much of this stuff has happened since I've been around. I was born in 1956. You know, the first car radio, 1930. I didn't even know. Well, I guess there were radio stations back then. Well, of course there were. I think they had radio stations back in the in the 20s. But, uh, yeah, the car, first car radio was in 1930. I guess the cars were so noisy before then, you know, what was the use of having a radio? Uh, the first car air conditioning was 1953. Uh, and in 1959, they had the first standard seat belts. Now, you know, my dad had some really bad car wrecks back in the early 50s, late 40s and early 50s. One time he said he totaled a road grader. And I said, I don't know how you do that and survive it, but he did. But after that bad accident, he started installing seatbelts. You could always order seatbelts from the fa- or from as an accessory. Imagine that, a seatbelt being an accessory. But they were before 1959. I'm doing this 1965 Mustang. It doesn't have any seatbelts in it. But I'm putting them in. My The guy that's doing the restoration, he said, you want seatbelts in the back? And I said, of course i got to be able to haul my grandkids around, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, but uh, my awareness of cars really didn't really start until mid-60s. My brother was the car nut. I was the, the I liked to play cowboys and Indians and ride my bicycle. I didn't really care about cars. And then all of a sudden, it just by osmosis from my father and my brother, I became interested. And it was really the early 70s when um, we moved to Tennessee and my dad bought a Chevy dealership here that I really started paying attention. I just can't believe how, like, one particular classification of vehicles has changed. In 1971, when my dad bought the dealership, he I think they had about 30 new Chevrolet trucks in stock because we have a picture of uh, kind of an overhead picture of the dealership uh, when he bought it. And there's all these trucks, not one single short bed truck, and no such thing as an extended cab. No, they were all regular cabs, long beds, like an eight-foot bed, and none of them were four-wheel drive. I just show you how things, everything now that we have out here is crew cab, four-wheel drive. And boy, are they big. The trucks have really grown in that period of time, haven't they? Uh, but the 1970s, you know, you saw the, the change in music. You know, what you could put in, it was eight tracks before that. And I remember having the big cases of eight tracks with James Taylor and Don McLean, American Pie. Remember that song? 
And, uh, oh, I don't know, we were kind of into that folk music. My brother had Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and some of those groups, and I liked them too. Uh, it was 1969 when intermittent wipers came along. That was a really big deal. Finally, you didn't have to just have the wipers, you know, have two-speed wipers. You could actually have an intermittent speed. And then not too long after that, they came out with something called variable intermittent wipers. So you could change it the, the speed of the intermittent wipers. What a revelation. Um, back in 1973, they, they ruined the uh, horsepower on most vehicles. I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 60s, I mean, you had cars with 300 and 400 horsepower. Not many with 400. But like a Chevy Corvette, I think a 67 vet had, uh, or the 427 and 67 and the following year had, you know, it was, it was close to 400 or 450 horsepower. Um, the same car in 1974 had 160 horsepower. What did that? Smog controls. Things like catalytic converters and smog pumps and all the different things that they put on the engine to reduce the emissions that were coming out of the tailpipe. Now, that was important. I mean, I don't disagree with them doing that. But, see, they hadn't figured out, if you're, if you're going to take all this away from the engine, uh, how are you going to give more power and improve fuel economy? And so the solution to that came several years later in the form of fuel injection and several other things that, that have more modern technologies. But I, I remember the, the first digital dashboard that I ever saw. It, it just registered speed. That was 1974, the year I graduated from high school. Um, oh, I didn't mention in the cassette radio came out in uh, 1970, and that changed. Had more room. You know, you could have more cassettes than you could eight tracks. Uh, CD players came out in 1984. Well, we've had those a long time. Um, 1994 is when they came out with the onboard diagnostics. Now, this has been a game changer for folks when it came to automotive service. And to be able to control emissions without killing, uh, basically killing the horsepower on the engine. So um, they figured out how to manage the, the flow of air and fuel into the engine and also to control what's coming out the tailpipe. Catalytic converters got a lot better. And these onboard diagno uh, diagnostics enabled you to diagnose what was going on. So that's when the check engine lights started, you know, being, being a part of our lives and, and being a nuisance at times. Let's see what else came out. Airbags came out in 1988. They were standard. Those were developed primarily by Mercedes-Benz. They were the first company to have airbags. And then in 2000, we started getting things like satellite navigation and hybrid cars and 2001, hands-free Bluetooth. Now, there's something that has really changed the driving experience. You know, Bluetooth uh, enables you to control a lot of things through your phone. And, you know, it it's a kind of a, it's a radio wave, basically, and it's a very low frequency, so you have to be really close for it to work. But, it you know, now when I get into my vehicle, I'm automatically connected to my infotainment system. I hate that word to my screen and radio and, you know, air conditioning controls and all that. So I'm able to control my car now just with my voice, and I'm using that more and more. I hope you are. I hope you are taking advantage of that technology because if you have tech in your car and you have a connected device like your phone, if you're still, you know, punching out text messages while you're going down the road, 
and and you know holding it up to your ear, which is illegal in the state of Tennessee, then you need to stop, and you need to either use your what is it, Alexa, with the um, I'm not sure what it, I guess that's what it is with um, Google Android devices, and with with uh, Apple, it's Siri. And so I talk to her a lot, and I say, send a message to my brother. And she'll say, what do you want to say to your brother? And it's just, it just makes sense to do that hands-free. But you've got to have it set up first. And if you don't know how to set it up, get somebody that's younger and more computer savvy. Not necessarily younger, more computer savvy. And they can set it up for you. You know, it just really doesn't make any sense for people that are buying these cars that have all this technology in it, and you're still using a flip phone. Now, I, I know that so, much, so many of the people in my generation and older, they don't really want to get involved with a, you know, with a smartphone. But I think it's time. I think you should because of the other advantages that it gives you uh, in, in terms of so many different things. And I won't get into all them like Apple Watches and connected watches and you know, weather reports and all the different things you can use in your house. I mean, when I go into my bathroom, I, I say, Alexa, play the news. And and it just starts playing. And I can listen to it or I can listen to music while I'm taking a shower. I mean, it's just really cool stuff. But a lot of people just aren't aware that that is available to them. And uh, especially, though, in the car. In the car, it makes a huge difference in, in safety and convenience. Uh, you just need to learn how to speak plainly because sometimes – uh, Siri doesn't always understand my Tennessee accent. Now, when you take delivery of your new car, the salesperson is going to want to uh, set up your phone. And like I say, if you have a flip phone, you're out. But if you have a smartphone, then they can do all the connections there, and you can start using those benefits or at least learning how to use those benefits right from the get-go. I always recommend that folks that if they buy a new car and you know, they get used to the basics, okay? There's a, there's a whole lot of information to take in. Make an appointment with your salesperson or one of the service advisors to come in and go over the technology again. You know, things that you really don't know how to set up. Maybe you didn't get your set, your uh, cell phone set up when you took delivery. Maybe it was late at night or something, and uh, you want to connect to that. Or you don't have a flip. I mean, you do have a flip phone when you buy it, but you go out and you take my advice and get a smartphone. And then uh, you want to get it connected. Well, you can go back to the dealership and they'll do that for you. If they won't, come to my dealership. I don't care if you bought it from me or not. We'll set it up for you. It's it's really not that hard if you follow your uh, owner's manual. But sometimes this technology stuff can be a little bit challenging. So quit resisting. You know, just go ahead, take the plunge. It's not you know maybe it is a little bit more expensive phone, but most of the people will give you a phone. You know, if you sign a contract or whatever. So, uh, and you can get last year's model for that matter. I, I like Apple. That's just what I use. I use an iPhone. I think it's easier. But some people like the Android phones, the Google, you know, from Google. And so that's fine too. I mean, if that's what you want to do. And maybe it's probably better if you're, fa- use what your other family members use. Like if your grandkids or, or your children, your adult children are using iPhones, then get an iPhone. You know, if they're using Android devices, then get an Android device because they can help you more. Okay, I'll take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. You know, I was just looking at this list of features that are available on cars today. I was just thinking about my favorite features are cup holders. There is no doubt. You know, and cup holders have gotten so big 
They can handle the big 32-ounce tees that my wife and I like so much. I also love the automatic windshield wipers. You know, that they just automatically come on, and if it's just a drizzle, then they'll just wipe it every now and then. But if it's hard, they, they speed up on their own. I think that's really cool. I also like the auto-dimming headlights. And the headlights on my F-150, when I turn my steering wheel, they actually turn and point in the direction where I'm turning. That's a really cool feature, so you don't run over the big wheel that's sitting in the driveway. Uh, but but Apple CarPlay, you know, being able to get on there and listen to podcasts and and listen to uh, books, audio books, and things like that when you're traveling, it's such a pleasure. It's neat. It breaks up the trip, makes it a little bit more fun. But you can't do that if you have a flip phone. So these are just a few things, ideas that I try to pass out there. I'm not trying to change your lifestyle. I just want you to be happy. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. Again, if you have any questions about this stuff, call me, 423-552-2020, or text me, same number, or send me an email, LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.